Today's program is brought to you by Tabard Inn, new American cuisine in one of Washington, D.C.'s oldest hotels, located in DuPont Circle. For more information, visit tabardinn.com. I'm Linda Palaccio, host of A Taste of the Past. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Happy President's Day from Inside School Food. I am Laura Stanley, and I hope that at least some of you are enjoying a day off today. Uh, Today we're going after a big topic, uh, participation. What's really going on? Uh, This question is front and center in the heated national conversation over the impacts of Healthy Hunger-Free Kids Act 2010. So let's just look at the facts. Is participation dropping Definitely, but only among full-pay students. It's rising among students who receive lunch for free, and the number of students who receive lunch for free is also rising. Is the decline in full-pay customers a hardship in districts where full-pay customers are in the majority? Yes, for the most part. But, and, and here's what we're really here to talk about today. Are the new meal standards the cause of this drop? Um, And and that depends on whom you ask. Uh, Today's first guest says that stricter nutrition standards are not necessarily to blame, that it's way, way more complicated than that. Uh, She is Jessie Hewins, and she's author of a new report about participation from the Food Research and Action Center, or FRAC. Um, After station break, we are going to talk about participation with Amy Drogemeyer, who is food service director in a mid-sized Kansas district with a very low free and reduced rate. Uh, So Jesse Hewins is an attorney and a senior child nutrition policy analyst at FRAC. Uh, Her work supports FRAC's advocacy of better low-income access to school meals through legislative and regulatory action. Um, Before joining FRAC, Jesse was a fellow at the Alliance for a Healthier Generation, where she helped to facilitate a national collaborative of medical associations, insurers, and employers to offer health benefits benefits for prevention and treatment of childhood obesity. Uh, Jesse's work on the report we're discussing today was completed with support from FRAC's data and nutrition policy staff. Uh, the, The team used USDA participation data over the past 10 years as well as USDA and other federal agency reports. So, Jesse, I'm so pleased to have you with us today. Thanks so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. Great. So we're, we're all familiar with media accounts of kids walking away from school meals, lunch in particular. Uh, I get them all via Google alerts from all over the country, and I feel like I've read at least 100 by now. Um, in virtually all of them, the reported drop in sales is linked to the introduction of stricter meal standards. It's a simple cause and effect version of the story that some people working in child nutrition and a lot of politicians have embraced. And I'm just, you know, just to get us started, does, does that story reflect what FRAC uncovered in its investigation of participation trends? Right. So when we were sort of conceptualizing um, this report um, over the summer and in the fall, we were, you know, following a lot of the stories that um, you know, you were talking about, and we really wanted to sort of bring a more nuanced approach to the 
the argument and and just sort of lay out all of the different factors that are going on in the school meals um, arena. So, you know, things have been, um, a lot of things have been happening um, in terms of uh, new nutrition standards, but also, um, you know, increased efficiency in how kids are certified for free and reduced price meals, and also um, new ways where schools can offer universal free meals. And these are all having an effect on participation. And and sort of the biggest factor, you know, we, we really wanted to look at was the recession, mm-hmm. that, you know, there's so many more families that qualify for free and reduced price meals as a result of the recession, and that, that this has really been a driving factor in the programs in a way that, you know, is not always acknowledged in some of the media that's been out there. Right. So when you say you you were looking at the recession, so how many years back does your analysis go in this report? For this report, we looked at um, 10 years of data. So so we looked um, 10 years back and sort of saw that, you know, the recession was really the point where... um, participation sort of started to diverge. So for a long time, you know, free, reduced price, and paid participation all sort of tracked each other in terms of growth in the program. But um, during the 2007-2008 school year was really where we started to see, um, you know, some some differences in in how, um, and shifts in participation among Mm -hmm. those those groups. Right. So well before the introduction of the new meal pattern. And and Jesse, I, I want to be clear, you're, you're talking about increases in um, free lunch um, participation, but you, you also were looking at a decrease in full pay participation starting not... T- tell me, when when does it start according to your, your re- research? Right. So we, we looked back at 10 years, like I said, um, um, but we really tried to focus on sort of the time period since the 2007-2008 school year. Mm-hmm. So um, from then um, till the 2013-2014 school year, we saw 3.7 million more free and reduced price um, participants on an average day mm-hmm. um, and 3.2 million less paid students over that time period. Yeah. So um, so it, it goes way back. And, and as I said earlier, many districts are attributing this declining participation among full-pay kids to changes in the meals. But you argue that um, there's other factors starting. And let's start with, with the paid lunch equity. You feel that's the data says that that has quite a bit to do with it. Can, can you explain? And maybe for listeners who don't know what paid lunch equity is, can you quickly explain what that is, too? Sure. So um, this is a provision that was part of the Healthy Hunger Free Kids Act. Um, it went into effect um, beginning in the 2011-2012 school year. Um, and what this provision requires school districts to do is to raise their prices so that paid meal prices equal the difference between the federal free reimbursement and the smaller paid reimbursement. Mm-hmm. Um, so in a sense, um, making sure that uh, the the reimbursements that school districts are getting um, for the free and reduced price meals are not subsidizing paid meals for for paid students. Um, And what we've seen, um, you know, there's a lot of research out there about the effect of cost on participation um, long before paid lunch equity um, and, uh, and more recently that shows that, you know, when the meals cost more, less paid students participate. Mm -hmm. And and we really have been seeing that, um, and it was something that was not entirely unexpected. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that most um, most people realize that when you raise prices for school meals, that 
that participation is going to be decreasing, and, and we have seen that over the past few years, and that is, like you said, a, a provision that went into effect before um, the bulk of the school meal um, nutrition standards. And when you say this was anticipated, uh, this, this drop in full pay participation, by, by whom? Um, USDA predicted it, um, and a recent um, GAO report found that that was, um, in fact, happening. And it was something that, you know, FRAC was fairly vocal about as well, um, that, you know, we really felt like this was going to de- decrease participation. Mm-hmm. And then, um, you know, could you speak to the effect um, that the recession is having on families that just missed the cutoff for free reduced? Or would you say that those are, you know, are, are those kids dominating the kids who are dropping out of the program, or do we not know? So I'm not sure we know exactly, but I think that we can. you can see that, you know, there's been so many families that have shifted from paid or reduced priced into free and from reduced priced into free and from, you know, everybody sort of shifting down the income scale and mm-hmm. the families that sort of bear the, the brunt of that are the families that are right there near the cutoff line um, and don't qualify for free or reduced price meals and, you know, are struggling, especially families with multiple kids, mm-hmm. um, you know, who have to pay that full price meal. Right. And um, so what does SNA have to say about the effect of um, this paid lunch equity provision on, on participation? So I, I can't speak specifically for them, but I know that in their most recent position paper, you know, they would like to see it reexamined mm-hmm. and, and narrowed so that um, especially school districts that are in, you know, really strong financial standing do not have to raise their prices. And there's been some um, some guidance around that, some flexibility provided by USDA um, for the last few school years, allowing school districts that are in strong financial standing to, mm-hmm. to get a waiver and, you know, um, Frack, we would we would love to see that continue, and also, you know, see um, a sort of closer look to see if this provision is having the intended effect. Right. Okay. And then um, your report also looks at the impact of a la carte sales on um, sales of full pay, reimbursable meals. Uh, it, is a la carte? You know, your report says that there's the overwhelming majority of schools offer a la carte um, in, at lunchtime. So that's a lot. Um, and, you know, what does USDA research tell us about the impact of these competitive food sales on the reimbursable, more balanced meal? Sure. So, like you mentioned, the the vast majority of schools are offering competitive food. So, you know, most kids have this available to them, especially in high school and middle schools, um, where it's even more common. And, um the research that's out there from USDA says that, you know, competitive foods drive students away from the school meals program. So when there are sort of other options out there um, that, you know, students that can afford to, you know, are, are choosing those foods um, mm-hmm. and, and not um, participating in the school meal program. Yeah. And, and I wonder how the lower income students, so students who do qualify for um, reduced price or fee, full pay meals, I'm sorry, reduced price or free meals, how are they impacted by the presence of competitive foods in the cafeteria? I think one of the most unfortunate um, issues with competitive foods is the stigma that it creates. Mm-hmm. So, you know, at FRAC, we're always um, focused on, you know, 
increasing access for free and reduced price kids and 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 I think stigma becomes even more of an issue um, the older the students get so maybe less of an issue in elementary schools but definitely um, a big factor for middle and high school students where you know it's not necessarily the cool thing to be participating in the school meals programs and this is unfortunate because you know families that are qualified for free and reduced price meals are, you know, likely don't have um, very much extra income to be, you know, giving their kids money for competitive food. So it's an added financial strain for for families that they really can't afford. Right. Uh, your report speculates that the the new rules around competitive foods, the Smart Snacks rules, will um, over time positively impact reimbursable meal participation. So in other words, direct more children to the reimbursable meal. Is that, I mean, do you have data about that or is that educated speculation at this point? Right. So it's a little too early to tell what, you know, the effect is going to be um, with the standards that went into effect this school year. But past research we've seen on schools offering um, healthier options um, in their competitive foods programs show that, you know, more kids are pulled back into the federal programs. And we can also look to some states that have had um, more strict standards in place before and and see the same effects. So we're, we are um, optimistic that, you know, where these standards are implemented well and where, um, where schools are improving sort of the overall um, health landscape, um, especially in the cafeteria, that these are um, going to have a positive effect and be, um, and be beneficial for, for all kids, low-income kids and, right. and the kids that are qualified for paid meals. Yeah, okay. And, and lastly, Jesse, um, uh, the report finishes with a set of four recommendations. Do you want to quickly t- go through what those are? Sure. So we wanted to, you know, put out a few recommendations around um, provisions that we thought, you know, would would help increase participation among paid students, but also not sort of pull away from the nutrition quality of the program. And the first one is um, what we already discussed around the paid lunch equity Mm -hmm. provision. You know, we would really love to see continued um, waivers for school districts and strong financial standing, as well as, you know, a closer look at, um, you know, whether whether this provision is really um, serving its intended purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- the second one is um, also um, something we've discussed a little bit, but just ensuring strong Im- implementation of the smart snacks rule mm-hmm. and just really providing the support um, and the technical assistance that school districts need to, you know, make sure that these um, new standards are, um, are implemented effectively and um, really support um, nutrition quality improvements in the in the programs. Um, we would also, uh, you know, we really support uh, USDA and all the other organizations out there providing technical assistance to school districts that are struggling with the new nutrition standards. Mm-hmm. I mean, these are, you know, a huge change for school districts. And, you know, some school districts have, you know, been phasing in these changes over the past decade or so. But, um, you know, there are some school districts that um, have been struggling. Um, so, so technical assistance programs like USDA's Team Up for Success initiative, um, you know, we really see as a, as a positive um, we also uh, are, have been doing a lot of work around um, improving school nutrition finances by bringing more uh, low-income children into the meals program. Mm-hmm. So 
obviously there's growth in this area and there's um, incredible opportunity with um, a few different programs, including the community eligibility provision, which became available to school districts um, nationwide this school year and allows high poverty school districts to offer um, free meals to all the kids and provide some administrative um, relief uh, as well as, um, you know, the research that we've done on those school districts seeing an increase in participation when you're offering free meals to all the kids. All right. So there's it's interesting, um, still room for growth and community eligibility, and that could could really continue to, to help. All the things you mentioned, Jesse, the, the team up uh, for success, a USDA program and enforcement of smart snacks, these are all future topics on Inside School foods. So I'm happy to have you touch on them now. And I encourage people to keep on listening because we're going to be digging in in the weeks to come. Um, Jesse, thank you so much for unpacking this research for us today. Um, Listeners, if you'd like to read the FRAC report we have been talking about, there's a link to it on today's show page on InsideSchoolFood.com. It's only 10 pages long, including the infographic, which, and the infographics are very helpful, by the way. Uh, And there's also a link to the School Nutrition Nutrition Association's response to the FRAC report. Uh, we have been speaking with Jesse Hewins, a senior child nutrition policy analyst at the Food Research and Action Center. After station break, we will visit with a district in eastern Kansas where the free and reduced rate is at one high school is just 9%. And participation is going up. Yes, you heard that right. Uh, The food service director there has some tricks up her sleeve that you're going to want to hear about, so stay with us. Today's break song is called It's Cold and Beautiful by Magical Mistakes. This is Inside School Food on Heritage Radio Network. The following program has been brought to you by Tabard Inn. Tabard Inn, Washington, D.C.'s quintessential small hotel, is located on a quiet tree-lined street just five blocks from the White House. Vibrant yet unassuming, the Tabard is comprised of 40 sleeping rooms, each unique in character and design. Feast on eclectic American cuisine in their acclaimed restaurant or enjoy a cocktail and listen to live jazz in one of their cozy Victorian seating areas. Mingle with travelers from around the world who find the Tabard the only place to stay when taking their travels to Washington. For more information, visit tabardin.com. Welcome back to Inside School Food. Today's topic, participation up, participation down. What's really going on? We just spent the first half of this episode looking at some data analysis from the Food Resource and Action Center. And now we'll look at the topic more anecdotally with the help of Amy Drogemeyer, who is Director of Student Nutrition for the DeSoto Unified School District on the eastern border of Kansas, just outside Kansas City. Um, Amy's work came to my attention recently when I read that Senator Pat Roberts had dropped by for lunch in one of her high schools. Um, Roberts is the chairman of the Senate Agriculture Committee and a powerful critic of Healthy Hunger Free Kids 2010. But even uh, Senator Roberts had to admit that his healthy reimbursable meal 
um, was delicious. And he had supportive words for Amy's department, um, which appears to be thriving despite challenges introduced by the changes in the meal pattern. So I called Amy up, and she is one very enthusiastic lady. Um, Amy, I'm so glad you could come on the show today. Great. Thank you so much, Laura. It's great to be with you. Uh, so let me tell everyone a little bit about uh, about you. Your, your background is unusual for school food. You came to it after... It th- is. <laughs> yes. Um, after it th- is. Thir- 13 years in the corporate world as a production manager and technical consultant for Hallmark Cards. Um, mm-hmm. And five minutes into our first conversation, I knew I was talking to a real businesswoman. So I'm looking forward to sharing your perspective with my audience today. And I, I should add that you began the job at DeSoto on shifting ground just a year before Healthy Hunger Free Kid uh, Act mandates went into effect. Um, so let's start out. Let's, let's take a quick sketch, a sketch of your program overall. Sure. Um, our district is on the western edge of Kansas City Metro, and we are in the most affluent county in Kansas. Mm-hmm. Um, our district has about 7,000 students, and we have 12 schools, two high schools, three middle schools, and seven elementary schools. Um, we have an interesting demographic as well inside of our district. On the eastern half of our district is definitely our more affluent families, um, and those that's where the 9% free and reduced high school resides. Mm-hmm. But on the western edge of our district, we also have um, a much higher free and reduced percentage in a smaller town setting um, and actually even have a Title I school on that side. So we have quite an interesting um, socioeconomic demographic mm-hmm. inside our district that we've had to manage over the last several years. But overall, your free reduced rate is still down to, to just 16%, right? Yes, that is correct. Right. So the majority of our students do live on the eastern side. Right, right. So I especially wanted to talk about the high school that Senator Roberts visited. It's called Mill Valley High School. Um, That's and correct. Yeah, because teenage customers are notoriously tough customers. And and you're dealing with this super low free and reduced rate in that school of just 9%. So these students can afford to be really picky. You know, what, what's on the lunch menu on a typical day there? Well, on a typical day, um, this year we've done a lot of work to our menu to um, really expand the offerings and uh, in light of the Smart Snacks in Schools regulations and make sure that we're still offering lots of items that the students would like. So we typically offer um, a daily dish is what we call it, and it's a rotating menu of just different items that students would like. One of the new things we have this year that's been extremely popular is um, what we're calling our creation station. And so we're patterning that off of like the Chipotle's of the world where the students can come in and build a reimbursable meal to their specifications. Mm -hmm. So one week it might be Mexican, the next week it might be pasta, the next week is Asian, we have a burger bar that we rotate through. In addition to those, we have an express lane for students that don't want to wait in line and kind of grab-and-go burgers and chicken sandwiches. Um, And then we offer a lot of cold plate type things. So we're offering some sandwiches and wraps. Um, We're offering yogurt plates, hummus plates, really trying to take the whole gamut of what our students might bring to Mm -hmm, lunch mm -hmm. and offer it instead. I know. You're offering a lot of choice, and you've told me that you kind of spy on the kids who are bringing their own and uh, kind of ripping off their good ideas if it's healthy, (laughs) which is Yes, we do. Yes, we absolutely do. Right. So let's talk about participation in this school. Um, You you rely on a business model that includes a la carte sales alongside the reimbursable meal. Uh, How is that working? Actually working well for us. We were anticipating a drop just like all of the other school districts that are implementing the Smart Snacks. 
Um, and we have seen a drop in our a la carte sales, um, about a little less than 10%, which is what we were anticipating. Mm-hmm. However, our reimbursable meals are up um, over the district of 7,000 kids, about 300 kids a day, which um, even at our high schools, that's about 100 of those kids at both of our high schools that I was just looking at numbers this morning. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that is due to the fact that we've turned everything inside of the the serving area into a potential reimbursable meal. And we're calling it a meal deal because mm-hmm. our students are very familiar with fast food industry and they have a fair amount of disposable income. So they're out and about and, you know, that's one of their social aspects is dining with their friends. So we're trying to turn it into more of a, a situation like that where they have lots of choices. Um, they can choose to buy it a la carte, mm-hmm. but since it's mom and dad's money, get that meal deal, which then in turn makes them purchase a reimbursable meal. And Mm -hmm. I'm seeing kids with tons of fruits and vegetables on their plates, um, and they're really buying into making sure that they're eating healthy so that they can be successful. So I just want to reiterate what you just said, because this completely reinforces what we just just heard, you know, regarding the FRAC report. You've seen Mm -hmm. a drop of 10% in your a la carte sales, and you're seeing um, more traffic going into your reimbursable meal program, which is what the FRAC report anticipates. And I would hazard that's what you want to see, right? Because the reimbursable meal is the balanced meal. It is. Absolutely. It is the balanced meal for us. Um, we try to keep our a la carte prices fairly reasonable. Um, as the parent of a high school student myself, I also want to ensure that my son's choosing the meal deal, but adding accompaniments to his meal, like maybe a bag of chips or maybe um, a bottled water or things like that that mm-hmm. they're adding to their meals instead of choosing that as their meal. Now, we still obviously have students that are going to choose to not take the fruit or vegetable and get the reimbursable meal. But mm-hmm. one of the things that we've done is we have a conversation with them at the at, right there at the checkout and say, you sure you don't want to add a fruit or vegetable, um, make it a meal deal. And if they say no, we let them go. We just and let them understand that it's going to cost a little more. And mm-hmm. if they can go home and explain that to mom and dad, then <laughs> we're going to let them make that decision. It, and so, okay, so, so, you know, they spend a little less if they take that fruit or vegetable. Are they eating that fruit or vegetable? We are seeing that they are eating it. We're offering... Um, we're offering upwards of maybe 10 fresh fruit and vegetable or canned fruits and vegetables every day, mostly fresh. That's um, something we've been very passionate about mm-hmm. is ensuring the quality of our meals. Um, that's what keeps our kids coming back, especially with that disposable income. Um, they can afford to go, um, you know, grab a foot-long Subway last night for dinner and bring half of it to school the next day, no problem. But they're choosing to eat with us, and so we're really excited about that. Um, We're really um, trying to ensure that they have lots of options. Um, Their biggest thing is they love Caesar salad. It's obviously not going to make my menu every day because Mm -hmm. of the calories, but um, they're they're loving the options. A lot of them, um, especially my athletes, we're encouraging them to take a whole apple, take a banana, take it with you, eat it in your study hall or eat it right before practice. And a lot of them are doing that. And um, it's definitely the change that we've wanted to see. It's been long and it's been hard and there's still lots of kids that are not completely buying in, but Mm -hmm. we're seeing our um, more popular students being role models and um, that's really helping a lot. Right, right. Um, 
and and in addition, so that, you hadn't told me that before. That's very that's very great that you know the the cool kids are are helping to drive the yeah, change. Yeah, they are. But you, you know, and this is where your your marketing experience comes in. You you've made a real effort to um, get buy in from the kids in some unusual ways. Um, I'd like to start out with the the health class piece of it. I've never heard of this before. Well, we um, have partnered with, we have some also some really great partners inside the classroom. So our health teachers at both of our high schools for, um, this is this will be my third year, um, that we go in to every single sophomore health class and just share with them um, about school meals. We share with them the, the civics part of it, of where did it come from, why is it a congressional act, where does the money come from, and help them understand that if they choose not to buy, they're not hurting the federal level government. They're hurting the local school. They're hurting um, us by, and again, we're not in there to convince them to eat with us. We Mm -hmm. just want to answer their questions and help them fully understand that we are self-supporting and we really rely on their participation to ensure that we continue to be that way. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I also let them know that they can ask me anything they want. As long as they're respectful, I'll answer any questions they have, like, what is the chicken patty made of? Or um, do you ever do this? Or, I mean, all kinds of those myths and things that are out there amongst high school students Mm -hmm. that spread like wildfire. Um, We really try to just let them be comfortable with speaking with me, and um, they're my customer, and that's what I share with them, is you're my customer, and I want to make you happy, so what can I do? What can I offer you? Um, and they're very they're very good at sharing that information, and even outside the classroom, I'll see them in the cafeterias, and they'll be, hey, Mrs. T, I wish we had more of XYZ, and it's just a really great relationship that we're building with them right. so that they know we're there for them. Right. So the school food director going into health sophomore health classes and teaching a class about school lunch is just a really neat idea. Um, and something else that you've been um, really effective in with this is um, working with the um, student group that runs the um, after school snack commissary. It's called the, the Caddy Shack. Can, can you talk yes. about that relationship? Sure. Well, it's the Caddy Shack, first of all, because they are the home of the Jaguars. And mm-hmm. so um, it is our school store, and it started up about three years ago. It was under the project of a marketing teacher, an upper-level upper marketing teacher. And she really wanted to get um, – the school store had never been opened in the 12 years of the school's history, and she really wanted that to become a project for her students. And so she developed a board of directors. They have is all student-led, all student-run. But she also wanted to do it the right way. So she invited me in three years ago to talk about the climate that they were entering Mm -hmm. and to really look at the regulations that might be coming down that would affect them overall. And so we have partnered very closely to ensure that what they're selling is um, not only compliant, but also healthy, popular, um, and something that they'll be able to sell. One of the things they shared with me recently when Senator Roberts visited was they were very skeptical as well of the smart snacks. Um, regulations and the changes they have to make in what they were selling. Mm-hmm. And their sales last year over this year are flat, mm-hmm. which is a huge success. And part of it comes from them getting out and doing some marketing. And part of it comes from what they told me was looking at their customers as their stakeholders and mm-hmm. really caring about what they're sharing with them and what they're selling to them. And then sharing that out with their peers. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And and when you say that the sales are flat is a triumph, it's because they anticipated that the sales would 
slump because you know yes, when the did. when the nutrition standards around the snacks um, went into place. So so you know they're doing okay, which is really great. They to hear. actually are. Yeah. Yes, they yeah. they are, and they're very excited about that. Yeah. So um, Amy, if if the regulations are are relaxed per you know what SNA is asking for in their position paper, um, what changes would you make, um, if any? Um, probably the thing that I would say, at least for my district, is we do have one of the lowest paid meal prices mm-hmm. for um, our metro area. We've been very conscious of that. We're still following the paid lunch equity tool. Um, we have our prices have been um, have been raised in the past couple of years, mm-hmm. but we're only selling our highest priced meal for $2.35, which is significantly below what I'm getting as a free reimbursement. Mm-hmm. So it's been difficult for us to, yes, we were certified as soon as we could be and we got our extra six cents, but a little bit extra on top of that um, just to combat the rising food prices, to um, not even combat the drop in participation, but just so that I can continue to offer the things I'm offering mm-hmm. um, and have just a little bit of relief from that. Right. That would be the major thing. We're not having issues with students accepting the the whole grains, um, those kinds of things. We've tried to be really um, not just creative but really be very fluid with what products we're offering. If something new comes out that's better, we're changing it out within a matter of months, a couple mm-hmm. of months. Um, and that's what I share with the kids is what I'm selling you in August may not be what you're eating in March because as manufacturers are able to refine their products and share samples with us, then we're changing those out to have a more palatable meal for the students. Um, so we're not anticipating that if that does roll back, um, that we would participate in that. Mm-hmm. In addition to, we're not having trouble with students taking a fruit or a vegetable. They're they're wanting to take that, mm-hmm. and they're seeing the value in that. And I think a lot of it is the collaboration we've had, not only with the students, but with the staff. The coaches are sharing with the kids, you know, what makes them successful in the weight room and also the what they eat and those kinds of partnerships that we've developed with them. So it's just making it more a well-rounded community and mm-hmm. looking at let's change the health of our students and of our community. Um, right. It sounds like the process of culture change in your district is, is going really well. Um, so, Amy, it's been so great hearing your story today. And it, it's just one story of one district, and of course, every district is different. Um, but I think there are some really helpful lessons to be drawn from the approach you've taken at Mill Valley. So, thank you uh, again for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you. Um, I have been speaking with Amy Drogemeyer, who is Director of Student Nutrition for the DeSoto Unified School District in Kansas. Uh, Today on Inside School Food, we have been looking at participation, what's behind the ups and downs nationally and in one medium-sized Midwestern district. Um, I'm interested in knowing what you think. Do you have a story to share? If you do, please write to us on InsideSchoolFood.com. You will find today's episode there along with resource links. It's also available on HeritageRadioNetwork.org and iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever podcast app you like best. I am Laura Stanley, and thank you for listening. Thanks for listening to this program on heritageradionetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at heritage underscore radio. 
You can email us with questions anytime at info at heritageradionetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. 